I explored with my mind how to stimulate my body with wine while my mind was guiding me wisely, and how to take hold of folly until I could see what good there is for the sons of men to do under heaven the few years of their lives. I enlarged my works, I built houses for myself, I planted vineyards for myself, I made gardens and parks for myself, and I planted in them all kinds of fruit trees. I made ponds of water for myself, from which to irrigate a forest of growing trees. I bought male and female slaves, and I had home-born slaves. Also I possessed flocks and herds, larger than all who preceded me in Jerusalem. Also I collected for myself silver and gold, and the treasure of kings and provinces. I provided for myself male and female singers, and the pleasures of men, many concubines. Then I became great and increased more than all who preceded me in Jerusalem. My wisdom also stood by me, and all that my eyes desired I did not refuse them. I did not withhold my heart from any pleasure, for my heart was pleased because of all my labor, and this was my reward for all my labor. Thus I considered all my activities which my hands had done and the labor which I had exerted, and behold, it was all vanity and striving after wind, and there was no profit under the sun. And I trust you noticed as we read that how often the, word, the words for myself occurred in this. And the conclusion, futility, striving after the wind, no meaning, no fulfilment in it ultimately. Would you turn then please to 1 John chapter 2. I'll read verses 7 to 17, and this time the text is from verses 15 to 17, but we'll pick it up at verse 7. Beloved, I am not writing a new commandment to you, but an old commandment which you have had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word which you have heard. On the other hand, I am writing a new commandment to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. The one who says he is in the light and yet hates his brother is in the darkness until now. The one who loves his brother abides in the light and there is no cause for stumbling in him. But the one who hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. I am writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven you for his name's sake. I am writing to you, fathers, because you know him who has been from the beginning. I am writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I have written to you, children, because you know the Father. I have written to you, fathers, because you know him who has been from the beginning. I have written to you, young men, because you are strong and the word of God abides in you and you have overcome the evil one. And now our text from verses 15 to 17. 
Do not love the world, nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away, and also its lusts. But the one who does the will of God abides forever. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, as we consider what it means to love not the world, will you grant us understanding of and insight into this part of your word? And from that also, Lord, will you give us the ability to analyse the culture around us from a biblical perspective and to be aware of any detrimental effects that it has upon us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Covenant people of God, Christians have long known and it has been written about not only in the scripture as we read, but also from the earliest days of the church, that it is essential that as God's people, we do not love the world. Though, unfortunately, it has resulted in some extremes, uh, especially of the world flight kind, what's uh, sometimes called Christian asceticism, punishing or depriving the body to teach it to ignore your appetites for the comforts and the pleasures of this world. I'm speaking about such things uh, as uh, withdrawal into monasteries and nunneries, uh, hermits living in caves, uh, the church denying clergy to the marriage, uh, marriage to the clergy, and such things. Uh, part of the reason for this, I suspect, is that the word world can mean different things in different parts of the Bible. Uh, there's another probable reason that uh, Greek uh, philosophy also came into it in the early church and uh, influenced people to uh, think that uh, we had to uh, shy away from anything that was enjoyable or comfortable in life, uh, anything to do with the body, and so you had to withdraw or even punish your body to ignore such things, some Greek philosophy, Greek philosophy that the body is kind of bad and drags you down. But uh, in addition to that, as I say, this other issue that the word world in the Bible can mean different things in different parts. Sometimes it means the whole created world. Uh, sometimes it means the world that will be, the new heavens and the new earth. Sometimes it means the world of the elect, or perhaps of all true believers. Or it can mean the world of those who are hostile to God. So when we read about the shunning of the world in the Bible, as we do here, it doesn't necessarily mean, it doesn't mean that we have to totally avoid all of those different aspects of what the world can mean in the Bible. But it does mean that we are not to love anything that has to do with hostility to God. Three points concerning the world in that sense, as some describe it, the sphere of Satan's activity, that aspect of the world that we live in. 
Firstly, it is not from God. Secondly, it is opposed to God. And thirdly, it is passing away. It's not from God, it's opposed to him, and it is passing. In the first place, then, the world, in the sense that John means it here, is not from God. The world as it's created, the universe, we might say, is from God. Uh, The world of believers is from God. But the world, in that aspect of it that is under Satan's sway, is not created, and it was not created as such by God. To be sure, he ordained the fall. To be sure, he governs evil and even uses it according to his purposes, turning it to good, that is to say, for his own glory and the ultimate welfare of his people. But he did not initiate evil. On the contrary, he forbids evil. He punishes evil. And he is in the process of removing it according to his great plan through the Lord Jesus Christ. The Apostle actually does give us an idea of what he is talking about when he uses this word world because he summarizes the root of the evil that is in this world. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life. Which implies that everything that is in the world, in the way that John is talking about that here, all the sin and evil that is in this world, derives from evil desires. It derives from lusts, from coveting, and from pride. I think, for example, from the very beginning, in uh, early in Genesis, we find uh, Satan's desire to supplant God. Uh, the, the pride in that, th- Satan thinking that he could supplant God. Think of Adam and Eve with their desire to be like God. You can be like God too. He's trying to hold you back. The desire to be like God up from that, due to that influence from Satan. Lust and pride. Coveting, which is forbidden in the 10th commandment, reminds us that all the other commandments are not just a matter of externals, whether you've externally killed someone or externally committed adultery, etc., but all of these things begin with wrong desires, with wrong lusts in the heart. And that helps us understand what the problem is with the love of the world and the things of the world, as that is intended here, it doesn't mean we're not allowed to love God's creation. We ought to love God's creation. All the beautiful things we see around us in nature, it is good to love those things of God. It is good for us to love the image of God as we see that in our neighbour, even in non-Christians. But coveting those evil desires and the pride of it and so on, this is a problem that has, comes in two main forms. One is the desire for things that are forbidden, and the other is the inordinate desire for things that may be lawful. So when we think about love of the world, think about it in the way that John means it. Think about, about it from those two aspects. Either 
coveting or lusting for or desiring something that is plainly forbidden in God's word, or on the other hand, it could also include an inordinate love of something that's actually lawful. And this also affects the church. Sometimes, of course, in the church, we find people, and perhaps at various points in our lives, we've done things that are just plainly wrong. They're plainly forbidden. But perhaps the most common form in which this occurs in the church is the inordinate fascination with things that are not sinful in themselves. But we have too much fascination for them. Too much fascination for it to be healthy. In the time that I've been in the Reformed Churches of New Zealand, I believe that I've seen a, a wit- I've witnessed an increase in both aspects of that worldliness, of that uh, love of the world. Uh, the most obvious example probably is the increased problem with pornography. Uh, that is increasingly affecting our churches and it is a clear violation of the seventh commandment. That's only one example. I'm sure we could think of others. But again, probably the most common examples come in the other category where within the church we so often follow the world's obsessions with entertainment and such things. Not necessarily, I'm not necessarily speaking about our own congregation here, but as a trend within the worldwide church. This obsession with entertainment, which may not always be sinful in itself, but it becomes a problem when the priority is too high. And through that, through making such things too high a priority, other things can so easily come in. An increase in Netflix language in the church. An increase in immodest clothing. Because we no longer react against it. We no longer think of it as so big a problem because we're surrounded with it all the time and we bring ourselves to look at it all the time on TV and internet and so on. Uh, Disrespect for authority, very common in society, filters into the church. Everyone wants to do what's right in their own eyes and who wants to listen to sessions around the world. This too is a problem. Uh, Doing more and more things that are entertaining in worship, more man-centred, taking a more easy, relaxed and casual approach to church life. These are things that come in largely from cultural influences. And of course, the cry against this point is often this, but where does it say in the Bible that this is wrong? Well, that is a legitimate question. But it's not the only question we should be asking ourselves. The other question, important question, is this. Are you doing this? Are you following this fashion? Are you following this trend? in order to glorify God, or are you doing it because the world says that it is cool and on trend? Moreover, moreover, many of the world's fashions actually come as a reaction against Christianity at the present time. They come as a reaction. People often don't realise it, but it comes as a reaction against the modesty of the Christian faith, against the decency of the Christian faith, against the reverence of the Christian faith. And as Christians, we ought to be very careful when it comes to following trends. 
that we ask ourselves questions about these things and analyse them. It is important that we consider whether our desires are actually coming from the Father, to use John's language, or coming from the world. Now as the title of the sermon indicates, this warning is the flip side of the commandment to love God and to love your brethren. Unlike the things of the world, the things of God are from God. They are created by him, they are things created, initiated, warranted by his word, enabled by him and pleasing to him in the Lord Jesus Christ. If you love God, then you love his handiwork. And that includes his church. If you love God, you love his priorities. And that includes the importance of his church and the worship of it and the life of it. And it includes then also, as we saw the other week in 1 John 2, it includes the love of your brethren. These are things that are from God, and that is why we are to love them. And not allow ourselves to be distracted from that by these other trends and fashions. Well, as we've seen before, John likes to make these points very strongly. And in that connection, he says, it's not just a matter, a danger of desiring or speaking or doing something that is not from God, but he says the love of the world is actually opposed to God and for that matter opposed by him. Our second point. It is important for us to realise that this section in verses 15 to 17 is related to the previous section on the love of God and his commandments and of our brethren. These things are connected in this way. Look at it this way. What is the nature, what is to be the nature of our love of God according to the Bible? Well, it, it is to be wholehearted. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and mind and soul and strength. Not that we do that, not that we maintain that love as we should. Our old nature pulls us in the opposite direction, like uh, moths to the candle's flame. And uh, sadly, at times, we follow. But thankfully, the Lord Jesus did love the, the Lord. He loved his Father wholeheartedly for us. And he died to, uh, we might put it this way, he died to cover the holes in our heart, the uh, inconsistency of our love, the areas where we don't uh, love God as we should. And of course, before we become Christians, that includes the whole of our hearts. He sent his spirit to give us a new nature that truly loves the Lord, even though that love does not outwork itself perfectly in this life, will in the next. At any rate, this demand for a wholehearted love is why the inordinate love of the things of this earthly life, even though they may be lawful, it's why this is still a problem. These things can easily become idols. Where we decrease our love of God, we decrease our love of the things of God, we decrease our love of the people of God in order to make way for our own selfish priorities 
in those areas where we are not using things to serve God. As well, of course, as doing wanting to do the things that are forbidden. The world under the sway of the devil pushes us to set aside a wholehearted love of God. The world isn't so concerned if we have a half-hearted interest in God, but certainly does not want to see wholehearted love of God. And we are pushed away from that either by the love of those things that are quite clearly wrong or being pushed to neglect the service and honour and glory and priority of God because the world under the sway of the devil is opposed to God at every point. If that love of the world, either of things forbidden or an excessive love of lawful things, if it reaches that point where God and his church are put it bluntly, second place or third or whatever in our lives, then that has become the habit of our life and that is the most serious form of this problem. And this is something we saw in all of the tests in this part of 1 John 2, that the present tense indicates an ongoing habit. And in this case what we are talking about is a life that is characterised by love of the world at the expense of the love of God and his people. A life that is characterised by disobedience, a life that is characterised by disinterest in the teachings of God's word, a life that is characterised by love of the world and the things in it at the expense of love of God and of his people and his church. And it is in that particular situation that John says, if anyone loves the world, in other words, if that is his custom, if that is the tenor of your life, then the love of the Father is not in him. And the reason for that is, the Lord Jesus said it, you cannot serve two masters. You end up loving just one and hating the other. As we test ourselves with the test of love, this really then is a part of it. To test yourself along with that, not only how much you love your brethren, how much you love the world, but also how much you love the world and the things in it in place of, in a way that interferes with the love of the Lord and his people. And as you ask yourself those questions, if you find that you love the Lord above all, but you are dismayed at yourself, dismayed at how often you follow after the things of the world, well, then uh, I guess that's the case with all of us. But if you look at yourself and you are dismayed by that, but you, you know you love the Lord, but nevertheless, these other things just keep getting in the way, then ask the Lord to keep on sanctifying you. Ask him to keep refocusing your love and your interest and your priorities where they should be. But if you find that if you're honest, you have to say you love the world more, then plead with the Lord to give you a new heart because that's what's needed. That's something you can't give to yourself. You can't invent or create a new heart within yourself. It can only come as a gift from God. And you can't 
wean yourself off the love of the world without that new heart. You can't do it, for example, simply by trying to shut yourself off from the world, if that's even possible. That's not going to work. But with that gift of God and with the Lord's help, with the gift of the Holy Spirit and the work that he does, then you can begin to put effort into this. You can begin to put self-discipline into it with God's help, into expressing that love of God and withdrawing yourself from those distracting things where they become too big a thing in your life or when they are sinful, repenting of them. To help us do so, to keep our love and our priorities on the right track, the Apostle reminds us that the world and its lusts are passing away. Our third and final point. And this is something we, we all know. Yeah, there's so many ways that we have these expressions, you know, you can't take it with you and those kind of things. Um, so many ways that we're aware of this, but I, I want to say it again because we all need to be constantly reminded of these things that every single thing that keeps people or keeps you from having the Lord as your greatest love and every single thing that would lure you away from that is in this category of passing away. Consider, for example, those violations of the seventh commandment, whether that comes through fornication, adultery, or pornography. The moment of pleasure is short-lived. It is quickly passing away. That person you've put so much on a pedestal that they have become an idol that you're prepared to sacrifice anything for them grows old and eventually dies, as you do. The fashions of the world in entertainment, music, movies, clothing, social media trends, the things that so consume many people in the church and in our congregation too perhaps are soon supplanted and become nothing more than curiosities of the past in the same category as uh, bustles and bell bottoms and vinyl records, perhaps occasionally um, re uh, um, cycled uh, for a little bit of momentary interest, but basically passed. Cars, utes, four-wheel drives, rust, break down, as you know. The qualifications that you put so much into that other things, important things, are neglected. The work, your business that you put so much into, even to the neglect of family and church. hundred years' time, what will it mean to the people who are left behind? Probably nothing. And if you haven't used it to serve the Lord, what will it mean to you? What will those things mean to you in a hundred years' time? No wonder the writer of Ecclesiastes says, this is futility, this is vanity, this is meaningless, striving after wind. And we all know this, and at times we all act as if we don't know it. So John's, which is really the Holy Spirit's warning, is always timely. But we have this in, in, in sharp contrast to that, to that passing nature of those things. We have in contrast to that, this statement, that the one who does the will of God lives forever, forever, rather than passing away. You've got a contrast here between the passing away and the living forever. The one whose habit 
is to do the will of God, to obey his commandments, to love the teachings of his word, to treat the Lord as number one in your life, and to love his people, his church, as the basic tenor of your life. Notice the combination there of the three tests, along with this further point about not loving the world. This combination of these three tests is the opposite of loving the world and the things in it. The person who combines those things as the custom of their life, that is the person who lives forever. Not that we earn eternal life by rejecting worldliness and sin. Rather, it is an indicator, a barometer, reflecting a Christian heart that loves the Lord wholeheartedly. Indicating a person who has faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, a person who truly knows the Lord, and a person who will live with him forever. Amen. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, would you grant to us a heart that not only wants to shun all things that you have forbidden, but a heart that also desires wholehearted service, doing the things of which you approve, without the taint of the world's priorities or pressures or fads. Father, will you move us to ask this question of all we think or say or do, to ask Will it help us to serve you or not? And will you move us more and more to do the things which will help us and through which we can in good conscience serve you with your aid? We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Motivated by the fear of the Lord and the joy of salvation, we can, with the Lord's help, grow in wisdom and in vigilance against uh, all evil and all worldliness and grow in zeal to serve him with a whole heart. Soul to hymnal 30, we'll stand to sing and would you please remain standing afterwards for the blessing and doxology, number 30.
after the blessing, we sing number 310 as our doxology. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance on you and give you peace. Amen.